Hello, and welcome to the Robert A. Heinlein Book Club. Um, in this episode, I will be talking about the second part of Starman Jones, which was originally published in 1953 and, um, and is his, his, the only novel that Heinlein published in that year as part of his juvenile mm. series. And um, this is the seventh juvenile, and it's worth talking about... Um, kind of how these all come together, I think. I think, you know, I've kind of been complaining that if you read these back to back, you kind of get a repetitive characterization. And, and I think this one, it stands out a little bit from the others, as I talked about last time. But I also want to talk about, like, something I mentioned before, is that when you do put these back to back, you sort of see more and more adult themes um, in the in the stories. And you see... Uh, you know, they're all the sort of about the transition from youth to adulthood, um, but they're a little more intense and uh, as things go on. It, it's a little less about like going to school and then transitioning to adulthood to really jobs and careers. And that's really what we have here. We have, you know, we see characters really being, uh, we, we see Max here, uh, Max Jones, becoming the captain actually of the ship by the end so that may seem people as a leap but I, I think it's actually set up pretty well in this novel where it doesn't it's not jarring it's not like what are you doing uplifting this 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 young man into captaincy is kind of like he becomes the only person who can really do the job at that point because of the rules of the guilds and all that so um and then the the kind of the life in limbo stuff become a little bit more central to the character not just not that he's a part of like in red planet our main character is part of a revolution and he's integral in it, but he's not like the central player in it. And here Max Jones really does become central to, to the plot much more than in some of the others. So I think that's another sign of the characters becoming like the themes of the story is becoming a little more mature. And I guess I'd also like to say that I think, um, you know, the extent of human influence seems to get, be getting broader. Now, I do know there's a novel coming up called Citizens of Citizen of the Galaxy. Um, so we imagine there you have someone like thinking in galactic terms. Uh, the first novel, you have people thinking really in terms of the moon. Just go to the moon. The second novel, Space Cadet, it's it's really about going into the solar system. And that's where we remain for the first six juveniles is really within our well, well two through five. Space Cadet and Red Planet and Between Planets, Farmer in the Sky, and The Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones being kind of the most open-ended at the end, where it's like, let's see how far we can go on this planet, like going beyond the, the asteroids. Now, of course, we've already been beyond the asteroids with uh, Farmer in the Sky, but, you know, there it's it's kind of like we're just going to settle there. Uh, Rolling Stones is much more open-ended, like this kind of how like, like Star Trek ends, you know, like let's see what's out there. Um, let's, is that the first episode of, of Encounter at Farpoint? Picard ends like, let's see what's out there. Um, but that's kind of how the Rolling Stones ends. Um, here we have, with the, the ability to fold space and gives, it gives the characters faster than light travel, this allows for a little bit more of, um, of 
you know, of a galactic exploration, right? We're exploring other planets at this point. And again, that's not something Heinlein hasn't done before. He did it with, with those children, but it's not a big theme yet. But, you know, we're kind of moving into that. And I wonder if the rest of the juveniles are going to be on this broader and broader scale. Um, so we move from the moon to the solar system to the galaxy. Um, so it does become kind of a a progression of human influence in space. And I think that's kind of an interesting approach. And I'm kind of liking that. And it, it keeps these juveniles fresh from being too repetitive, right? I think if we just stay in the solar system, I think they would have gotten stale. I think after the Rolling Stones, we don't need another novel set just in the solar system. Now we'll see where they go in the next five, because we have five more of these to to read, plus Starship Troopers and Podcane of Mars. Well, that's obviously set on Mars. but So we kind of got five to seven more juveniles depending on how you're counting them so i i think that's uh it's really clear in the second half of this book that we're we're advancing kind of the borders of what these juveniles are are trying to do these um young adult novels i guess so anyways where did we leave off last time i think we left off with with max becoming uh essentially an astrogator on the ship or getting on the ship he, no, I think we left with him as a steward, right? Um, and he's he meets he meets Ellie and he starts playing chess with Ellie and and things like that. And he's still very conservative. And I think he is throughout the novel. He doesn't want to take the authority that increasingly gets thrust upon them. But eventually, uh, Ellie reveals to like the the officers that he's actually a pretty experienced astrogator you know an astro navigator which he learned from his from his uncle and had all this knowledge memorized and she does that partially because she wants to hang out with him because if he gets promoted to like more of the officer class he'll be allowed to spend free time in public with ellie uh in public spaces and that's what she wants she doesn't want to just come down to like the the animal containment zone where she gets to play with her her uh what's it called a spider What's, what's the name of that animal? Spider dog, spider puppy, something like that. Um, it, you know, it's got a male name. It's got a Mister Mister something name, but it's it's actually a female. And and uh, but the spider puppy gets its moment to, to shine. It, it it speaks and it it's, it kind of reminds us of Willis a little bit, I think. But um, but a little bit more. There's a lot of pets in these juveniles, which I which I kind of enjoy. But anyways, he gets uh, basically he gets a field promotion essentially to being a, an astrogator and he works under this guy Hendrix. Hendrix is the the chief astrogator of the ship and he becomes like an apprentice a probationary apprentice into the guild and that is uh, going to be his door into that that new guild which is kind of what I what I always wanted right now He's got, they also find out that he's kind of fudged his documents because remember Sam Anderson, whatever his real name is, helped, you know, get him on the ship through fudging the, 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 his background. That gets revealed too, but it's kind of like, well, let's not worry about that. We can do the paperwork later. Maybe you'll have to do something. Maybe you'll be punished. Maybe you won't be able to be, enter the guild, but for now we need you and we're going to want you there. So they go off. Uh, so everything's set up now that, the ship, the Asgard, is heading towards this colony, um, but Hendrix dies. All right. Hendrix dies, and that forces the ship to 
uh, or first is the captain, because all captains have to be astrogators. That's kind of a rule of the ships, which kind of makes sense, right? Your captain needs to be someone who comes out of that. Now, in Star Trek, of course, the navigators and the engineers and the command people are all trained differently at Starfleet Academy, it seems, and the commanders come from command training. But here, the commanders come or come from the class of astrogators, which kind of makes sense because really the ship is all about the math. It, it's 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 a it's a Heinlein fascination, of course, with the role of math. But and we we saw that with the slide rules in the Rolling Stones and the fact that you know he really emphasized the mathematical training. So because really space travel here is jump it's jump tech it's like the space is folded at certain points in four dimensions and which allows the rapid transit you've all folded the piece of paper to know how this is done you've seen this example um so that's how ftl is done but it requires like precise super precise calculations to do that um and that means astrogators you, the captain has to have that knowledge to be a proper commander i guess which it, it sort of makes sense in world and it's setting up something important later on in the story as Max essentially becomes the captain. So anyways, um, he, uh, Hendrix dies, leaving um, the astrogation, the most important part of the ship, that department um, without enough navigators. So that also means Max is going to get more responsibilities, but also means the captain comes down. But the captain messes up and the captain makes a mistake makes an error and the ship gets lost. They, they screw up a jump and they don't recognize the stars and they could be literally anywhere in kind of the universe or in the galaxy. They, you know, who knows? Because there's really no, no way. If the math is wrong, if there's been a mistake, the jump could, a small miscalculation could mean the ship could be, you know, thousands of light years away. So they're essentially lost in space. So what to do? So they kind of hide this knowledge. I think it's interesting how the news spreads of this and how the different crew members find out and how they're sworn to secrecy and how the passengers find out and the passengers start it starts with rumors and messages being passed on and eventually the passengers who are all elite. Right? There's a class element in this story too, which I think is interesting where the passengers tend to be upper class and the crew tend to be more lower class, uh, although fairly well educated but more of the lower class. And there's strict divisions. It's like the Titanic, right? There's strict divisions between fraternizing between the upper class passengers and the crew, which is, of course, central to the Max-Ellie relationship. This romance that's blossoming is kind of this, they're, they're kind of star-crossed in a way. But there's also a lot of like class um, resentment uh, resentment's the wrong word, class privilege that the upper class have, where they expect, they, they demand to get their de de destination, right? And they have a ticket. They're lost at space, lost in space, but they still insist, like, we have a ticket that it says we're going to get to Halcyon. This is where we have to go. And they, you know, the, the, the captain's kind of like, well, what can we, the, the truth is we're lost. And if we can get you back, we will, but there's no guarantee we will get back. And the people don't accept this. And later in the book, when Max becomes captain, you see that same tension, so much so that Max forbids one of the passengers from eating with him, which kind of makes them see him as kind of aloof and uh, kind of as an insult to them. And he has to kind of 
repair the diplomacy of that suddenly. There's, it's interesting at the end of the book how he's not really, doesn't have the training in dealing with the passengers and dealing with uh, these upper class people because he comes from a farmer background. And, you know, I, I was kind of bothered in the first half that there wasn't enough about his farming background, but it actually gets a little bit, you almost kind of see maybe this can be relevant here in the story in the second half because they end up deciding that the best thing to do is settle a planet. They find a planet that's not that far away that they can get to in, a, I think it's a year or so. And then um, it's essentially in the right zone. It's warm enough. It's it got an atmosphere. It's got the right gravity. So essentially it can be a place that people can live. So they set all down. They say, well, you have two choices. You can stay on the ship until we get you to Halcyon, which is probably never going to happen, um, or you can settle here. And most of the passengers just agree to settle there. And now there's going to be, the, the crew is still needed on the ship because the ship has to remain in orbit, and they're still going to try to find a way back. But in the meantime, because that could take years or generations even. So they, the, there's a little bit of a separation there, but the passengers are going to go try to settle. Now, most of the passengers are male, so there is this question of, like, if this is going to be a permanent colony, we're going to need the crew to help build the colony to such a point before the current members die because there's not going to be a big second generation just because there's only, like, seven women and some are too old and, and Ellie's one of the few that's, like, young enough to maybe bear children. So this doesn't seem it's going to be a long-lasting colony, uh, but they do think about that a little bit. Um, and, and you kind of expect that. I thought one way this novel could have gone at this point is Max takes up his life as a farmer again, saying a return to being a farmer. But that's not what we get. That's not uh, the story Heinlein wants to quite tell here. But I think that could have been an interesting story where his expertise as a farmer becomes key in helping the survival of the, the colony. That would have required maybe more women on, as passengers, which Heinlein could have easily have done. And then they could have had a sustainable colony that Max is central to. That could have been a really good story. Again, uh, maybe it's too close to Farmer in the Sky for that um, to be satisfying. Because I do think each of these juvenile novels really does, does something a little bit different. Um, but anyways, um, that's not what happens. But Max uh, is on the crew. Ellie and the other passengers are beginning their life as settlers on the planet. Max, over time starts to decide he wants to court Ellie and maybe marry her. And that's going to be an issue of crossing over. And he talks over with the leadership. And they're kind of like, well, you know, eventually it may not matter, right? Because, you know, if we get back to Earth, Ellie will come with us. If we don't ever get back to Earth, eventually you'll be able to, she'll be on ship or, you know, you'll eventually be able to live together. So don't let the current situation make you think that's impossible. Um, but... Anyways, that's kind of the setup. Now we get to the climax of the novel. And once again, we have like a lost in space kind of situation. I, I think, is every story going to do this? I think it's an been in every juvenile since Space Cadet. And in a way, it's in Rocket Ship Galileo, where they kind of get stranded on the moon without a ship because the Nazis destroy their ship. And Space Cadet, they're lost on Venus. Uh, in Red Mars, lost on the surface of Mars, saved by the Martians. Farmer in the sky, they're lost in those kind of crystal mines at one point um, after the earthquake. 
between planets. I think there's a moment where the character is lost while he's serving in the military. And then Rolling Stones, we have uh, uh, the grandma and the, and the grandson lost. Uh, and the grandma has to kind of sacrifice herself, right? So we have someone being lost. And once again, we, we sort of have that here. And in this case, it's Ellie and and uh, Max get captured by these indigenous residents of the planet who are like centaurs. Now, they're, they, they are intelligent, but their culture is very different. And this is actually a repeat a little bit of what we saw in Malthusia's Children, where there was a planet they go to in which... They're, they're kind of welcomed by the indigenous population, but it turns out that they're going to be essentially um, sort of like the, the pets or the livestock of of that species, um, or they're being kind of forced into a collective consciousness, I think. And in any sense, they have to leave because they can't be fully autonomous here. Essentially, it seems what's going to happen here is that these human, the humans are going to become essentially the livestock of these centers. Um, killed and eaten by them and Ellie and Max are captured and you know it seems that they're doomed they're tied up they can't escape and they're there for quite a while there's a couple chapters spent where they're just trapped and they get to bond and talk they even play chess using like parts using like random parts they can find but who saves them but uh but um Sam Anderson Anderson comes back. We still don't really know his real name. I don't think we ever get his real name. But he saves them with uh, the, the spider puppy, with uh, the little pet. And uh, he frees them. He tells them, though, that like shit's gone down back at the ship. Uh, and what's happened is basically uh, Symes, who I haven't really said much about, if I don't all. Yeah, I think he introduces, he's introduced into the story, Symes is introduced into the story back when Max realizes the error that leads them to jump into the wrong space. And they don't, they basically disregard him because he's an apprentice and they don't respect him. So he's kind of presented as a bad guy right away. We don't know too much about him except he's just a little bit of an asshole. But anyways, um, Sy- the captain died. The captain was, was killed and Symes tries to take over. And then Sam sort of, it's not really, because Symes is the mutineer, but Sam's moves against Symes, kills him. And and meanwhile, Symes has destroyed all of the the data, all the books, all the astrogation equipment. It's um, kind of one last FU to the crew or something. I don't know. I don't think his motivation for that is fully explained, except to set up this the centrality of Max at the end of the story. Because remember, Max has this eidetic memory, this photographic memory that allows him to, to remember all the charts from the his uncle's astrogation books, the ones he sold back to the guild, you know, back in chapter two or three. So, anyways, um, Sam tells the story about how they're kind of screwed now. They're they're even worse off than they were before because now they have less data helping them get back, and now we got we find out that the indigenous people, the centaurs, are set to enslave and kill them. So they have to leave the planet. They can't settle here, and there's really nowhere to go. Um, the other planet in the system is, I think, too hot, or is it too cold? I, I forget which one. But uh, there was two possible settable planets on this system, but they're both, they both kind of suck. This was the better one, but it had these centaurs. 
Anyway, Sam dies as they escape. Um, wrapping up that plot line, which is he's kind of turned. He, I mean, he starts out as kind of a sussy character, and we learn he's got this really complex backstory and this, and we don't get all of it. He's kind of a mysterious figure to the end of the story, which is really great, wonderful part of the of the tale, I think. But uh, he dies, sacrificing himself for Max, who we, you know, he originally stole from. Kind of returns the favor, maybe I don't know, but he does. Um, lay down his life uh, kind of in in service to his comrades at the end, which is a nice character arc for that guy, um, especially after he, you know, kind of saved the ship and from, from Symes. So they get back to the ship and Max is told that he's essentially has to be the captain um, because only an astrogator can be the captain and he's essentially the only functioning astrogator anymore, even though there's a re- more of a staff there but he's the only one that has the data he he has to um i don't know why he can't just copy the tables um and and i guess he does at some point but he's told you've got since you're the most knowledgeable person now because you're the one who has these this data in their head you're the one who can solve this problem you're going to have to be the captain so he gets upgraded to his his to being a captain and then he sends the crew to collect the data all the star charts they have to chart the space they have to find all the data before he can compute the return home right because that's basically what they're left with is is taking is learning what they can and then using max's knowledge and brilliance to return home they do that they make it uh back to uh to um like where there's earth colonies and stuff and human colonies um he's then allowed to join the astrogators guild put back into uh you know proper stay status his uh, i think he has to like he has to kind of he's punished a little bit but he is allowed into the guild and he he's no longer captain but he is like another apprentice uh journeyman kind of astrogator on a ship um, but he has to choose Ellie or this career, and he chooses the career. That's it. That's how the story ends. Um, so, is it my overall thoughts on this book? Is that it is quite? It's it's one of my favorite of these two novels so far. I think it's. I think Max is sufficiently differentiated that I'm less bothered by him. He's like the kind of character I think I will remember. He's got enough distinctive personality traits. He doesn't just merge into this kind of competent young young man kind of archetype we've been getting from from Heinlein in these stories. So that I much appreciate. I think he's, his character arc is quite good, that he kind of goes from a farmer to a, to a steward to... You know, his his talents are identified by the crew. He becomes an assistant, but through chance and luck. And, you know, because he does his service well and does his duty well, he gets to be captain at the end. Um, but that's only temporarily an emergency. And he has to, like, still go through the motions of the guild. I think the world building of the guilds, obviously, as I said before, is really interesting. I think we do have the sense of this really class divided economy we have the super rich who are the passengers we have the guilds who are like the skilled workers but we also seem to have a lot of marginalized people 
around like the farmers, like Sam Anderson. When we first meet him, we have hobos, we have homeless people, we have truckers. Um, and their class status isn't quite known. They're part of a Teamsters Guild, though. Um, so we do seem to have a pretty rich social environment. If this was a longer novel, we could have maybe got more of that. We only kind of get a taste of it, but I think that's well developed. I love that we're finally outside of the solar system and exploring other planets. Um, and again, that's not really what Heinlein's done a lot. He's usually put his aliens in the solar system just so he could have human interactions with them. But he, he's hard enough in his sci-fi that he doesn't want to venture out. And this is this is kind of fantasy. I mean, the warping space and traveling along that is sort of fantastical. Uh, and the fact that math is kind of the key to, to allowing FTL is kind of cool, but it is just an excuse to get the ship outside of the solar system to other planets. So I'm fine with that. I think that's perfectly legitimate, but, and it's all explained really well. And he does spend a lot enough time doing that, but I just like that we're outside the solar system and this allows for different type of adventures. My only complaint is yet again, we have the kind of the character lost and has to be saved plot line, which has been in every one of these juveniles, and it's getting a little bit repetitive. Um, are there other ways to build up the tension at the end of the novel? I actually think this this novel didn't need that whole section, right? It could have just been the centaurs begin to pick off colonists and 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 enslave them or eat them, and and so they have to leave. Um, I guess he wanted more interaction between Max and Ellie, but that could have been done in other ways. He, I think it's just kind of a easy way for Heinlein to build up the tension and the risk for the characters at the end. Um, in fact, I was into the the part where he's captain. I thought that was really interesting, where he's trying to navigate the social arrangements of the ship with the passengers and all that, while trying to still you know maintain his relationship with Ellie and manage the crew who don't fully trust him yet and, and, and deal with his new responsibilities, which are incredibly intense because he can't make a mistake or they'll be in worse situations. Um, so the, the class dynamics also with the elite, how they're very privileged and don't understand their situation and believe that the crew's duty is to, to perform the impossible at any point. I think that is a good reflection of maybe how Heinlein sees the super wealthy, that kind of the unearned wealthy, because these people are more aristocratic. They're not, they're not like the guild members who may be relatively privileged compared to like the hobos, but still, you know, they've kind of earned their position through their talent and their skill. Um, so a lot to love about this novel, actually. Um, I don't know if it will be one I'll come back to, like any of these juveniles. I think once I read through them, I don't think I'm going to have time in my life to maybe go back and revisit these. But um, I did really enjoy this one. I, I think it's uh, one of the better character arcs for our main character um, in where we see him kind of, you know, following the guild's rules are following the rules of the Stewart's Guild and then the Astro Nicator's Guild almost to the T, right? That it restricted his own kind of the desires, which was Ellie. And then he gets forced into command, essentially, and he has to like take that responsibility because he's the most competent person because of his special skills. I think the way he navigates that, it, it's quite well done. I, I think it's 
we really see some character arcs with Max that we don't necessarily see with some of these other male characters where they're like between planets it's like the motivation for the character is the same throughout the whole story and i think that's that's true of several of these these characters but max is a little bit different um so uh yeah that's it um so the next juvenile we're going to read or i'm going to read is called the star beast which i'm kind of the least interested just from the surface i mean it looks like from the cover a boy just has a big pet dinosaur or something I don't know. I've, I've been surprised with most of these, so surprised how good they are. So I'm, I'm not scared. I'm not like too worried, but just a little bit. I'm not sure. I don't. I'm not sure. I want to read a story about a, a kid and his pet dinosaur. It sounds like something I read when I was five years old. But we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, interstellar. So interstellar flight for centuries. So this is much much in the future. Um, Anyways, but before we get to that, we have to spend a week or maybe two weeks. It's it's winter break, so I don't know if I'll get as much time to record as I as as I want. But we got like Skylift to read, and one other short story. What's it called? Skylift and Project Nightmare, both nineteen fifty three stories. One was published in Imagination, and the other in Amazing, I believe. So we'll read those before getting to uh, to uh, the Star Beast, and then we won't have any short stories actually until we get to 1956, which is uh, um, a Tenderfoot in space, just one. So we're we're really running out of short stories. Good, that's a good problem though. Focus on the novels is is probably nice. I guess we have Double Star. We're still with the juveniles for a while, but we got Double Star and Door into Summer. Um, before we get to Starship Troopers. So two adult novels, five more juveniles, and then Starship Troopers. And that'll be kind of the, like the Wikipedia Heinlein bibliography breaks up. Early Heinlein novels is ending with Starship Troopers in 1959. And then we have the middle novels, which take us up through 1973, and then the late Heinlein novels, of which there are only four or five. So um, that's it for now. So anyway, so next one will be... Uh, the Project Nightmare. So I'll see you then. Uh, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.